To those of you who are online, I wanted you to know that um, it's not patronizing or anything when we say, and I think I speak on behalf of everyone that's been on this platform, when we sing, when we pray, when we preach and teach, you are just as much in our hearts and our minds and these words, everything applies to you as if um, you were in this room. Uh, in fact, there are more people uh, from our fellowship who are watching online and participating that way or who will join us during this week than there are in this room. So we're really outnumbered. And I just wanted you to know that I felt like that was kind of a needful thing, a reminder to, to let you know that we, you really, 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 we are a family. In fact, we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment and something I want you to, to note um, that's connected to Thanksgiving. How many, you have a good Thanksgiving, everybody? You got to do it. I know it was probably different. Uh, we started off in the backyard around a table that we have out there. As the shadows of the day came around, it started getting chilly, so we moved around to the driveway. Uh, but we were able to enjoy time together and throw football and frisbee and just kind of enjoy getting to be together. And I think that's, that's what it is. However you did that, whatever it looked like for you, I hope it was good. But it made me think a lot about the first Thanksgiving. Nearly every historian, everything we know about Thanksgiving comes from two particular sources. One is an eyewitness report, uh, and it shows up in a letter written in December of 1621 by Edward Winslow. Edward Winslow was one of the original uh, travelers on the Mayflower that sailed from England in 1620, and they founded Plymouth Colony. The other source of information about that we have is from William Bradford. He wrote kind of a history of those early days, and he mentions uh, Thanksgiving as well, even though he wrote about it, you know, it was uh, years after that big feast. So according to this account, particularly that eyewitness uh, handwritten letter, that, took, that the Thanksgiving took place over three days. It was a big celebration. It was either September, October, November. It was right in there uh, in 1621. There were just over 50 colonists that were believed to have attended. That included 22 men, four married women, and more than 25 children and teenagers. Those were the fortunate ones who had made it through this really, really rough entry into this, this new world, this new place. They had had a tremendously harsh winter. Uh, there were these epidemic diseases that swept through the colony, and it killed almost half of that original group. Some 78% of the women who had arrived on the Mayflower by the time they had this Thanksgiving celebration, had died. Most of those during that first winter. It was a higher percentage than men or children. The colonists were outnumbered two to one at this event by Native Americans. And it was fortunate they came because they brought five deer. They had venison, and they had fish, they had uh, shellfish, they had that. Maybe they had some wild turkey. We don't know about that, but uh, that tradition kind of developed later. 
uh, as, as they went along. There was no pumpkin pie because they didn't have ovens, flour, or anything that they needed to make that. While in 1621, that event wasn't called Thanksgiving yet, the sentiment was certainly present there during that historic celebration, just as it would play a defining role in how the tradition has developed over the centuries. I have friends in other countries who celebrate Thanksgiving uh, that they've mimicked or patterned after our celebration. Whether on that day, that time, you were Native American or whether you were from the British colonies coming over, giving thanks was important to both cultures, even though they had experienced such an extremely difficult times. As I mentioned, there were only four English housewives that were alive in 1621 out of 20 that had traveled over on the Mayflower. And the reason I mention that is that because I want you to see the context of that first Thanksgiving and what took place and compare that to our context this year in 2020. They were in an even more desperate situation than we're in. But they found cause to be grateful and to pause and just to give thanks. So I think it's appropriate and I think it's beautiful that in, in a time when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like this has been one of the hardest years we've ever had, that we stop and give thanks. Here's the big idea for today's message. We will have peace despite all the obstacles because Jesus has overcome the world. And we'll apply that in this way. As we live as followers of Jesus, we can trust that the Holy Spirit's with us, that God loves us, and that Jesus will overcome the world. Now today we'll conclude this series called Take Heart, and we've taken all these messages from this one little text in John chapter 16. And I want to read with you today uh, the 25th through the 33rd verse of chapter 16. He said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, 
I've overcome the world. In this discourse, as Jesus is ending his time with the disciples, he summarizes his mission for why he even came. You know, we're about to step into Christmas celebration, and all of our attention will be uh, on the coming of Jesus, you know, and, and the way that he came to dwell with his people. He says in verse 27 that he wants to share the Father's love. In verse 33, he says, I'm bringing a message of peace. And in verse 33, he says to prophetically establish a rule over the world once again. He said, this is why I've come. And over the course of that teaching Jesus has with his disciples, and this really begins a couple of chapters before this in John 14, Jesus reviews the reasons. He says, this is why I came to be with you. This is my heart. And I've used vague language, and there's sometimes, you know, I've used imagery or word pictures to try to get this across. And sometimes that's been maybe a little confusing to you. Well, this is the moment that I'm just going to speak plainly. And he does. And that's a little more easily understood by his listeners. But later they would go back and break it down, and they would understand. And as they listened, and they go, oh, you know, when he said this, now we get it because that's what he was talking about. So Jesus finishes his comments, and he answers the disciples' question. And then he looks into heaven and just begins to pray. Everything uh, is, is coming together at this moment. Everything is about to happen. So just after, you know, he, in verse 31, he asked this it's kind of a rhetorical question. Do, do you now believe uh, Jesus addresses the fact that these disciples will scatter in fear. In verse 32, and he goes, you're going to leave me alone. And that's almost unthinkable at this point. You know, this moment is just kind of one of those warm and fuzzy moments, and they're all de- there together, and their unity is strong, and they feel this connection, and they know, they said, Jesus, we know you've come from God, and we're with you. We're with you. And can you imagine how that felt on Jesus, you know, half you know he's just looking at him thinking i know you mean that at this moment and i know the emotion is there that's not what's going to happen you're going to scatter you're going to scatter the minute trouble comes they probably wouldn't have believed him so he tells them but that's okay and he says this again in mark 14 50 he says you know i want you to know that the father's with me Because later you're going to feel ashamed. Later you might feel some guilt about abandoning me at this moment. But I want you to know I'm okay because the Father's not going to. He's he's going to be with me. He says, indeed the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come. You will be scattered, each to his own, and leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. God's sheep do get scattered sometimes. We've been scattered. We still are. And we don't know how long we will continue to be scattered and what decisions lie ahead. We hope, uh, and it's been incredible how quickly this vaccine has been you know, developed. I think there's three, four companies now that, that have this and it'll be available soon. Uh, but we're still on this path and there's still some of us in this room some of us not in this room 
but we go forward. I know some of you, you know, you're at home and, and you're watching and, and you think I'm there right now. I feel scattered from the body of Christ, from my friends, from my family. I feel scattered. Maybe you felt that on Thanksgiving as some of you couldn't be as close to one another as you wanted to be or you couldn't be together at all. And you felt that scattering. But God is still, is still with us. The original word uh, included the idea of, of this. Uh, people being frightened and driven out of their fear to run in all directions. You know when you're startled and you jump back or you, you run or you, you, know, you just kind of, it's that, that fight or flight kind of feeling and that panic comes on. Jesus says, some of you are scattered and we're just moving in different directions. Let me encourage you right now, even when you fear uh, what may be coming or you're uncomfortable or this has created a lot of anxiety with you, maybe it's a good idea to not make any big life-changing decisions connected to that fear. You know, out of, out of that emotion, sometimes and you look back in other situations in your life and you think, well, I was just really, I just didn't know what to do. And so I, I married him. <laughs> I wasn't sure. And so I, I quit school or, you know, I don't make those kind of decisions out of that emotion. I'm not saying don't make any big decisions right now, because it may be that you have to. You may be, you know, uh, in a place, in a position in your life, and you think, but I've got to make this decision. Okay, but don't make it out of fear. Make it clearly and out of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And if you can put it off, just wait. Just wait and don't, don't make a big decision like that. The root word for scattered is scorpius. And that sounds a lot like a word that we have in English um, referring to a, a creature called a scorpion. Some of us have been to Latin America and to Mexico. We were on a work project, and the guy said, every morning when you wake up, before you put your boots on, turn them upside down and shake them real good. Because he said, scorpions will get in there at night, and then you put your foot in, and they're going to sting you. So uh, that's what this word means. It really means to pierce something. Uh, these dangerous little creatures with huge poisonous stingers and they arch their back and you've seen them probably mostly in movies. Uh, so when Jesus talked about his disciples being scattered, he was talking about a dangerous, painful thing. And the disciples couldn't understand at that moment that they were about to be overwhelmed. We get overwhelmed in our unity and our fellowship gets threatened because we have so many various opinions and we let that part of our brain sort of take over, right? And we think about politics or we think about the virus or a dozen other issues in, in your life. Folks, we cannot allow, under the lordship of Jesus, anything to scatter our hearts from one another. We love him, he loves us, and we love each other. Now, marching feet were headed their way. Even as they're having this conversation, there was this army coming from the courts of the temple looking for them. The voices of the mob could be heard sounding in the streets. You could just see the lights. Judas was coming. Now, the disciples couldn't hear all those 
ominous sounds yet. And they're still kind of complacent about Judas. But Jesus knew, and he knew there's a storm coming and that it's going to break within the hour. And he said, you will be scattered. You're about to be scattered. And then he warned them. He said, when you're scattered, it'll be every man to his own. And literally, and in my version, in the ESV, it goes ahead and puts that next word in. And isn't this kind of crazy? He says, they will be scattered to their own home. Ta-idia is, is the word. And I thought, I can't think of another time in history that we have been scattered to our own homes. That we have been told, go home, stay there, quarantine, don't go out. And so in a way, and I know this is sermonizing a little bit, and I know this is kind of what guys like me do, but I see that correlation, I see that word picture. We have been scattered to, literally, to our own homes during this time and during this year, especially over the last several months. And he says, when that happens, this physical bond that you have with one another, because you can see each other and you can hug each other and you can talk face to face, he said, that's about to be severed. And you're going to be apart in some ways. You know, we just moved one of our upcoming meetings this week up back to Zoom again, just temporarily. And I know there's this, this sense of, well, that doesn't feel very satisfying. Or we're so appreciative of that tool. And we're so glad we have that technology because we can at least see each other. We can at least hear each other. But it's not the same. I drove past a nursing home that's close to where I live. And they have one of those tents. What, what do you call it? You know, like you do tailgating with just a top and no sides. I can't think of the, it probably doesn't have a name. It has a name. But one of those was set up right outside of the window, and there were two lawn chairs. And they were just sitting there, and they were talking to someone I couldn't see for the glare on the inside of the glass. But I knew it was a mother or a grandmother or an aunt or a sister or a brother. They, they were inside, and that's how. And I just thought how frustrating that must feel. But we do what we can. And Jesus said, you're about to be scattered to your, to your own homes, and that bond is going to be broken. And each of those people in that night would be thinking of their own personal safety and they would run off into the darkness, headed where? For their own homes as quickly as they could get there. God's sheep do get scattered sometimes. And we can get overwhelmed just on an ordinary day by the events and places and moments of our life. Dr. Eleanor um, Canarthy reported that the average person has more than 200 negative thoughts a day. I know some people that feel like if I have that negative thought, I need to verbalize it. 200 negative thoughts a day, including worries, jealousies, insecurities, temptations, depressed people. And some of you feel depressed. Depressed people can have as many as 600 negative thoughts a day. No wonder we're overwhelmed. At the beginning of verse 33, Jesus said, These things I've spoken to you so that you may have peace. Irene. This word for peace, it means when two things that were separate are pulled back together and connected. 
I used to work in a steel place, uh, and we did all the manufacturing there. We either we did the shell that was around the nuclear reactor at Oak Ridge, and we would weld that together. And the test would be that the weld had to be stronger than any other place in the metal. If it was a sheet of metal, wherever it was connected that way, that had to be the strongest place. And Jesus says, that's the word. That's what I want to do. I want to bring peace. I'm going to keep you welded together even if and when you're scattered. So he holds us together and he says, that's why I've come. And in just listening to me, you know, just listening to Jesus can make a tremendous difference in our hearts. If you're like me, when you're anxious or you're overwhelmed, you think, I, I got to do something. I want to do something. I how can I, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to self-fix this, you know. And the other day, the Lord just seemed to say, shh, 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 Dan, be still. Be quiet. Just sit and just, you don't have to do anything. There's nothing for you to do. I have already done and I will do everything that's necessary to bring your peace back. Just be still and listen. Just listen to my word. Just read my word. Just sing my word. Jesus can give us peace like nobody else. And when we listen to the Lord instead of our own thoughts... We'll hear him say some of the most wonderful things. and You will be blessed and you will be encouraged. So this week or next week or the next week, and, and I think it may amp up during Christmas. There's just something. I love Christmas. And I, I sang this yesterday, just this little part. You know that song that says, we need a little Christmas right this many, very moment. And I said, Amen. Uh, I went out Thanksgiving night to walk my dog, and all the houses along my street were already decorated. It's almost as if people say, well, we got Christmas. <laughs> you know, we need a little Christmas. But it may be that during this season, during this time, you feel yourself slipping a little bit, and you may feel yourself overwhelmed. So when you get anxious or when you're even redlining, listen, remember this. Just slow down. Take a break. Take a breath. And go to God's Word. And just pray and just listen to Jesus. You are going to be amazed at how he will calm your heart and your mind. Jesus' last words to this group of disciples are these. In verse 33, he says, but take heart, which means be courageous. Step up. Be as brave as you can. <laughs> Because I've overcome the world. That's a prophetic statement about what's about to happen. He will overcome death through the resurrection. And I think it's also a hint or a claim that this final battle he will fight when he comes again and be victorious. I was at a funeral yesterday for Helen Julian. It's at a beautiful place. It's way out in the country at Seven Islands. Uh, I've lived here for a long time, and I thought, I don't remember ever being at this particular cemetery. And as a pastor, I've been to a lot of cemeteries. It's just a beautiful setting. And as we sang one of the closing songs, I think it was How Great They Are. And I just looked out at the water, and I looked at this hill. And I just thought, oh, Lord, you will come again, and you will be victorious. And we all will be together. Jesus came to bring peace to his people. 
That's a fulfillment of so many scriptures in so many places, like Isaiah 57, 19, when he said, peace, peace to the far and to the near, I will bring peace. And in Micah 5, 5, and he said, and he shall be their peace. You won't find your peace in any other place or person. He said, I will literally be your peace. So because of Christ's victory, because we as Christians can know that we're victorious because of the Holy Spirit, because he lives within us. We can live in the peace that's brought by victory despite the disease that affects us, the destruction that we see around us, or the devastation that we feel sometimes. We can look at how Jesus' followers rallied after his death and they found comfort and they found power when the Holy Spirit came. And that applies to us. We can find support from the community in the body of Christ, even if we're scattered. And we can find counsel, we can find comfort in the Holy Spirit. This morning... Um, I got this little song on my mind, and it's an old hymn. And it just seemed to connect to this. Some of you will remember it. For some of you, it's new. It goes something like this, and I'll just speak it to you. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust him more. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Take heart. 